First of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading Psalms 133 and Philippians chapter 2. Paul had written this letter to the Corinthian church because there had developed some problems and uh, he was writing to address it. I know when I preach on subjects like this, sometimes you think, well, there must be problems going on. No, if there's problems, normally I won't preach things like this. And uh, so, but if there is, I don't know them, don't know what they are, not picking on you. So don't think preachers trying to get me today because I'm not. But I'll take whatever the Holy Spirit will do to you. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Paul talks about, Dear brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop arguing among yourselves. Let there be real harmony so that there won't be divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I think it's important that we understand that even though walking in to church and being in part of church life, sometimes I forget it. I'm so used to being 36 years a pastor, I forget sometimes that this can be intimidating. And, and, I, and I definitely don't ever mean the church to be intimidating. But one thing is very important, and you understand that the work of Jesus is very important. And as you saw these youth, probably they had never been put in a position to to where they were this week quite the way they were. And sometimes the Lord speaks better that way. Uh, And I'm saying to you today that it's not just the kids God's trying to get his attention to. God's trying to get his attention to you. Because one day, you're going to stand before Jesus, and your work here, believe it or not, is being recorded, and it's going to count. And you're going to have to give an account of it. So understand that it's very important that if we're going to get a job done, just as these guys got a job done, if we're going to get a job done for Jesus in this community then it's going to have to be with people who are willing to get along with each other. And sometimes in this day and time, that's not easy. In Psalms 133, David wrote this, How wonderful it is, how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the fragrant anointing oil. Verse 3, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. I believe that, and especially as I get older, now that my mom's gone and my dad's gone and, and uh, Bob, who I used to talk to all the time about different things, he's, a lot of the people that I'm used to talking to, they're disappearing. And you know what? When you get to my age, 61, and, and your loved ones and your people that you respect start disappearing, guess what? You're going to want somebody to talk to too. And you're going to find out that you really do need different people. And the church becomes more and more important to me and significant to me because you're my family. You're a part of of the world in which that I've spent the last 36 years working in. 
It's familiar, this may be a familiar story to some, and some of you won't have a clue, but coming up, I watched the series, Andy Griffith series, and some of you like that series, I hope. Well, I can remember the first series, the first episode was about Sheriff Taylor invited his, his uh, Aunt B to come and live with him and Opie. Opie had a hard time accepting her, and Andy tried to help the situation by taking Aunt B fishing and taking Aunt B frog catching with them, but Aunt B was failed miserably. She finally decided that it just this ain't going to work out. This, this just isn't going to work. And so she told Andy, she said, I think I just need to go on back. Well, the morning, and remember the, the series that Andy got up to take her to the bus station, Opie came running downstairs saying, Paul, we can't let Aunt B go. Aunt B can't. She needs us. She can't catch frogs. She can't take the fish off a hook. She can't, pass, she can't throw the football. We've got to take care of her. She needs somebody to take care of her. You see, sometimes we don't see the church like that. We see it as a cold place that some of us don't want to be. Where the preacher preaches and you get to feeling guilty and walk out and saying, I'm not going to a place like that again. But the church should be what Jesus intended it to be. It ought to be a place where God's church gets done, his work gets done, and it gets done through us, his people. But we can't do that if we're not together. We can't do that if we're not on the same team. I meet a lot of people, and I see a lot of people, and there are two kind of folks. There are always someone shopping for a church, and then there's always those that are church hopping. Church shopping me, church hoppers are those that come into a church and finally they find something wrong with it and leave and go find another one. Shop till you drop and join another one. And before long, you've spent your whole life jumping from one church to the next and you never really get connected. You never really get engaged somewhere like you heard these teens got engaged this week. I think it's important that we understand, while I, I too would love to be a part of a perfect church, if this was a perfect church, and it's not, I wouldn't join it because I'd mess it up. I know I'm not perfect, but some people need to look in the mirror and realize you're not perfect either. And so we, as we come together we need to understand that the church is not a trophy case for the exhibition of perfect saints, but the church is a school for the education of imperfect believers. We should all be wanting to grow in the Lord. We should all be seeking to know what God wants us to do and, 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 and what he wants us to be. But all too often, we get caught up. And saying, you know what, the church is just not for me. Well, I'll tell you what, the church may not be for you, but it was something for Jesus. Jesus was willing to die for the church. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about the church, the born-again body of Christ. Those who truly would say, if you were to die right now, today, you'd know where you'd go because you've accepted Jesus. You've, you've received him in your heart. He lives within you. You see, Paul exposed the problems here among 
the people, he said, you're arguing among yourselves. They weren't of one mind. They weren't united in a thought or purpose. They weren't committed to the real harmony of Jesus. And most people that I've met that aren't peaceful people, they're not peaceful on the outside because they're not peaceful on the inside. You can't give away what you don't have. If you don't have peace on the inside, I promise you, you won't live peaceful on the outside. While it's true that we have very important relationships around us, such as our friends, our relationship to God is our Father and and the Lord Jesus. Our relationship to our spouses and our family, they're important and they should be important. When it comes to the church family, for 36 years I've seen this with my own self, my own eyes. The greatest problems in the church, as I see it, is not lying and stealing, drunkenness and adultery. It's not even murder. It's the sin of disunity. Families bring disunity in the church. You're not together at home, and so when you're not together at home, you bring that junk to the church, and it gets out. I think it's important that you and I understand that for at least 27 years here, the whole point of me even showing up and, the, and, and I long to go to my office is not so I can develop a sermon. My prayer is, is that I get the opportunity to share Jesus. That I get the opportunity to see someone who's cold in their face. Let me tell you something. I lived the life of a hypocrite in the church for a long time. I fooled lots of people until my plug got plugged into the right power source. And then I realized, whoop, this ain't about me. This is all about Jesus I'm not significant, I'm not important, but the Father is, and he's serious about his business. When we do our recreation league, by the way, they've already taken uh, applications for the fall. Sports is probably one of the biggest open doors for confusion that I've ever been a part of in my entire life. But it's one of the greatest opportunities in the world to reach little kids and teens for Christ. If we can ever get beyond the fact that we didn't make it on the braids and we're trying to live through our kids and make them to something that they ain't ever going to be either, and we can step back and look at it like, you know what? I get a chance to share Jesus with these guys and play, play the game all at the same time. If we can get beyond our attitudes of people coming into the food building And looking at them saying, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I'm not like they are. That person don't need the food. They're coming in and driving a Mercedes. Listen, do you know how much a Mercedes cost? If anybody drives one, they need to go get food if they can't afford it. Tied all the cars. You see, we can't get beyond our own prejudice. We can't get beyond our own disunity. And dislocation of why we even do what we do. 
I normally don't throw out names, but I can't help it. I got to do this one because he was bragging on y'all. He wasn't bragging on me. I wouldn't accept it. Josh and I had a meeting last week with Keith Kelly. Keith Kelly is a man who's a, a big businessman here in this town, but he loves his employees. He loves people. He went as far as to take me and Josh to his farm. On that farm, he's growing. He has four employees. He's growing everything from cabbage to okra to peas to raising on chickens and turkeys and pigs. In South Georgia, he raises cows. And I say, Keith, why do you do all that? He said, so I can give it away. Because I love the people that work for me. And I got to thinking about that. Yeah, he's wealthy. Yeah, he can afford to do that. But his heart was more than about money. His heart was, he wanted to see his employees come together. He wanted to see them eat right. He wanted them to know that he cared about them and that that they meant something to him. Do you know what's absent in our society today? Families that feel like they're wanted. Kids that feel like mom and dad really care about them. The family unit's disappearing, guys. It's a thing of the past. He said, Mike, your church. I said, I know we ain't perfect. He said, no, that ain't what I'm talking about. He said, I think y'all are on the right trail. You're sniffing the right rabbit. You're following the right direction. Don't quit. You see, when I began Solid Rocket, I wasn't thinking about a lot of people showing up. I was just thinking about what's it going to take to get the message out? Because there's a lot of hurting people in Covington, Georgia. Some people care, some people don't. But I'm not worried about the ones that don't. What about me? What did God put me here for? I'm not going to stand before God on what my boys have done. I'm going to stand on before God of what I've done and what I'm doing. I think it's cool that a youth worker can sit there and listen to other youth workers brag on another youth worker and not be jealous. I don't think there's a jealous bone in Captain Williams. And I'm proud to have him serving with me. Not only because he's a captain in the military and, he's, and he runs, I don't know how he's running the show up in Winder and being here most of the time. I don't know how he's doing that. Let me tell you something. It, Lanny cared with his heart for you. Terry cared here with his heart for you, but now listen to me. They now care around the throne. <laughs> We care with you here. And while we're all wanting to go, we're going to serve him in unity in Christ while we're here. Solid Rock Baptist Church will never be a perfect church. You want to know why? Because you have an imperfect pastor. You may think you're perfect, but I know I'm imperfect. And I would never put myself up. But now Jesus in me, 
He's perfect. He is number one. And if Jesus is not in you, my brother, my sister, you better accept him before you leave this earth too. All too often, I think we're like two old porcupines. What happens is they say that in the wintertime, these old porcupines get together and they'll huddle up and warm up to one another. But the problem is their quills stick one another. So they back away. Then they begin to freeze again and they try to come back together and they stick one another again. The problem is they need each other, but they keep needling each other. That's the one thing I see in the church today. The one very reason people can't get together because they needle one another. (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. You got a chance to practice at what I'm talking about because you married an opposite. And if you're fixing to get married, it's going to be an opposite. You will not be attracted to people that that act like you, as significant as you think you are. They... I was drawn to a woman that was exactly, in many ways, opposite me. And you were too. And the, the same thing that drew you together, if you're, after you're married a while, if you're not careful, get what, guess what it'll do? It'll divide you. But it's supposed to unite us and grow in a unity and spirit of love and care and compassion. While it's true to dwell above with the saints we love, that's got to be downright glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, we all know that's a different story. Because some of us just don't get it. Some of us hadn't figured it out. It's not about us. It's about him and them all around us. Why was Jesus so narrow-minded to put us in charge of sharing his message? I'll never know. But he still expects us to be the paper boys, to be the servants. To care about our community. Hopefully the legacy will be. With Solid Rock Baptist Church. That they didn't care only when you came to the church. They would care about you. Even if you didn't go to the church. You see. Jesus didn't come to die for the righteous. And set you up, higher up. He came to die for the unrighteous. He already knows you have problems. The ones you're willing to admit. I believe the threefold secret to any fellowship of the church of success is, number one, love, love Jesus with all your heart. If you don't love Jesus, then church will always be weird. Number two, love people and love one another. And then number three, 
love the lost. The hard thing about loving lost people is they don't act like us. <laughs> well, I say that. Sometimes church folks worse than lost people. The way they act. Listen. Paul encourages us to be of one heart. He says, first of all, you and I are to have, we understand in Philippians 2, 1 and 4, that there's advantages of being harmonious or to be in harmony. He, in verse 1, he talks about encouragement and comfort and fellowship and tenderheartedness, one purpose and one mind. He said, look, we don't have time to fuss and fight. We don't have time to, to quarrel. We have only enough time to get the job done. I believe that's why God said in Proverbs 6 that he can't stand folk that are running around sowing discord all the time. We don't have time for that. By the way, that's discouraging to me if that happens. We ought to be about the business of Jesus. Yes, Satan has a strategy, and his strategy is to defeat, defeat and divide. And here's the way he'll do it, my friend. I know he done it to me. He will single you out. He will set you off to the side, and he'll begin to speak to you. I'm not talking about God here. I'm talking about Satan. And he will make you feel like that you're right. You don't need Jesus. You can get along without him, but you can't. And when you die without him, you'll find out why. Satan always has had the motive of division. He's always had the method of deception. He's always had a mission of destruction. And he will do anything he can to divide us, to destroy us, to separate us. I love the verse, Matthew 16, 18. Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that's united in the Lord Jesus. And, and I think that's a promise, and I think that's very significant and important. Mark Twain once said, I built a cage and put in it a dog and a cat. In a little training, I got the dog and the cat to live peaceably together. Then I introduced a pig and a goat and a kangaroo and some birds and a monkey. After a few adjustments, they learned to live in harmony together. So he, encouraged, he was encouraged by this. And by the successes, so he decided to add an Irish Catholic, Presbyterian, a Jew, and a Muslim a, from Turkestan, a Buddhist from China, and a Baptist missionary they had captured on, some, on, on a trip coming back. In a very short time, there wasn't one single thing living in that cage. Unfortunately, that is exactly what happens to when we chew on one another and and we don't keep the focus the main thing it's all about jesus man it's what he wants with us i close with this and john chapter 8 to me is the best illustration in the world of seeing the heart of jesus for some reason or another when jesus was there the the people that kept trying to trip him up and mess him up with the religious fanatics of the day, the religious critics. And the Bible says that they entrapped Jesus in a crowd and brought before him an adulterous woman. The Bible says that 
These guys had taken this woman in the very act of adultery, brought her unto Jesus and said, you know, according to the law, according to the Mosaic law, this woman should die by being stoned. They all had their rocks in their hand. All of a sudden, Jesus said, okay, take those rocks and hurl them and kill her. But before you do, let me tell you this. Before you throw your rocks, I'm going to put a stipulation on it. You that are without sin, cast the first stone. All of a sudden, the rocks begin to drop one by one until the lady and Jesus were standing there. Finally, Jesus looked at the lady and said, ma'am, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none. He said, neither do I accuse you nor condemn you. Go and sin no more. That day showed up a lot of rock throwers. That day showed up a lot of religious criticizers, critiquers, if you will. That day, a lot of accusers showed up. Did Jesus overlook the sin? Of adultery? No. He told her, go and sin no more. He wasn't excusing adultery. But he was dealing with the religious criticism of the day. Jesus didn't come to make you and I philosophers, critiquers, Accusers, condemners. He came to make us children and followers of himself. While there's a lot of things in the scripture that you can take and twist, there's one thing you won't be able to do about Jesus. You will not say that Jesus did not die for you. As sorry as we might be, he still died for us. Amen? And he'd do it again and again or whatever he had to do because he loves you. And one day, mark my words, one day you're going to stand before Jesus face to face. With your heads bowed and eyes closed.